0: Welcome to Witch City Witches, a podcast from Salem, Massachusetts, exploring the practice of witchcraft. We explore witchcraft through many different lenses, including personal practices, tarot, astrology, ritual, and so much more. In today's episode, we're talking to our friend Cheryl Rayfuse. Hi, Cheryl. Hi. And I'm Anna. And Becca's here. Hello. (laughs) And Cheryl, thank you so much for joining us to give everyone a little bit of background as to how we know Cheryl. Uh, We all met through the same tarot group that Becca and I met uh, three or four years ago. Yeah. And, yeah, we've been doing all sorts of witchy things since. So, Cheryl, where are you from?
1: Um, I am from Franklin, Massachusetts. Um, It is a little bit middle of nowhere. Um, My friends all make fun of me because I always talk about how it has the country's first public library
0: (laughs) (laughs) which I love very much that's awesome it's really
1: it's a really beautiful library too like they have these like this like giant like dark wood room with, like, nice. bank lights yeah. and then like this, these murals that have like you know half naked nymphs running around that the PTA always gets upset about when the like middle schoolers go on their field trip there really? so oh my god yeah, that's yeah. it's, Bonus. Re- it's really Bonus. So we you have
2: a historic scandalous library yes
1: a historic scandalous library um Benford- that is great would be very proud the only reason it exists is because um our town wanted a Liberty Bell, and he was like, no, like, the Liberty Bell was, like, a special thing. You could have some books. <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely paraphrasing. If you look this up, it's, like, maybe a little bit more
2: complicated than that.
1: But, um... That's the Clifton's version. Um, so that's where I'm from.
2: <laughs> okay, so middle of nowhere, Massachusetts. so uh, background that I have. Yeah. Um, how, how did you come to call yourself a witch, or do you call yourself a witch?
1: So... Um, I, for like my entire childhood, would always just be like, I, my, like, I used to say like my religion is nature, which came from the fact that like my actual, like, religion I was raised with was Catholicism. And I went to a church where they would pull sermons from like the fifties that would literally say that women belonged in the kitchen. And my mom would get back in the car with my dad and be like, I cannot believe that that just happened. And it would just be like this, like throw down, like, why do we go to this church? Like, why, why is this acceptable? And so I witnessed that a lot growing up and I never felt... Any sort of connection or magic going into that church. <laughs>
2: Anna and I are both former Catholics as well.
0: So. Yes. No, I was just thinking to myself that literally every person who has spoken on this podcast so far is a former Catholic. Mm-hmm. That is not intentional, folks. <laughs> I mean, it happens. We're in New
1: England too, and like there's just like a lot of former Catholics in this area too. Like a lot of the people I know are of that ilk. And so, yeah, I felt a lot more magic when I would like go on a hike or like walk in the woods or like even in my backyard as a kid and I always when asked like what I believed in it I always since I was a little kid I've talked about how like you walk out in the woods and you can feel the energy.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You can just feel it. So, I didn't I like was definitely like a little baby witch but didn't really embrace the term until I was just graduated college because I went to a liberal arts college where it was, like, go, go, go. There was not a lot of room for spirituality. And, like, I did, like, some witchy things while I was in college, but it was definitely not, like, I, it wasn't the space for it. And by the time I got out of college, I, I like, missed the woods so much because I went to school in a city. And I think that was a lot of it. It's at the time, Boston did not have a, like, accessible to a college-age person mm-hmm. which scene. Which thankfully has changed a lot. <laughs> um, I think that Boston's become a lot more accessible for that kind of
0: vibe. Um, but, so, yeah. so, you went to college in Boston. Yeah. How did I went you to end up? Uh, yeah, Emerson. says so. You live in Salem now, I but do. you started coming to Salem before you moved here. How did, I did.
1: you? Um, I came here when I was seven years old on a Girl Scout field trip.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: I remember just like, Feeling the, The like space and like seeing that like people were just so unafraid to be who they wanted to be even back then, which was like, you know, the mid 90s when like Salem was not at all the like Halloween scene that it is now it was like getting there. But it still had that vibe of, like, people just, you know, they dress how they want to dress. They express themselves how they want to express themselves. There was still a really, like, like decent creative community here. And I was just like, this is where I want to be. Seven years old, turned to my mom. I was like, I'm moving here. And she was like, okay. <laughs> Good for you, sweetheart. Like, But as soon as I graduated and had a job in Boston and realized I could actually just move to Salem and commute, I was like, cool, deuces. And, like... Immediately moved up here. I lived on Winter Street in um, a studio that had a ladder up to a platform where my bed was. That was like, it was all right. It was that's <laughs> cramped. Fun. It was cramped, I would say. Um, but now I live um, in North Salem and have like a little backyard, and my life is great. So <laughs> still renting, but it's mm-hmm. good. And the first couple of years I was here, I really wanted to find like for lack of better terms, like, witch friends. Like, I wasn't one of those people that was like, I'm gonna form a coven, like, right now. That's, like, not how covens are formed, right? Like, covens take time, they take bonds, they take initiation. Some of them take initiation. And it was just, like, I just wanted, like, other people who thought like I thought. And it took me a little while to, like, find my people. But once they did, honestly, like, I I worked at Housewitch for three years, and... That's where I met like so many people that were just just like me from like honestly all over the country. Like if, especially if you're listening to this and you live in the middle of nowhere and you like think there's no one like you, like I promise, yes. like there probably is. Just like, you know, maybe put put like put like a little ad out or
0: something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> you'll Price find list. it. Searching <laughs> for other searching witches. for witch friends. <laughs>
1: but yeah, and I've loved it. It's been a really transformative journey living in Salem, so I think my little seven-year-old self was right that I was supposed to be here.
0: Yeah, one of the things that we've talked a lot about on this podcast, and we talked about it, you know, just Becca and I, and then again with Lauren, who you know, mm-hmm. uh, is the idea that people come to Salem looking for community, and that it's not always easy to find community in Salem because there's so many people Yeah. that it becomes hard to know where the common ground is.
1: Yes, And I think that people also, and myself included when I first came here, don't, maybe don't fully, like, grasp the concept that, like, there are so many different ways of being a witch. Right. Mm -hmm. That, like, if you yourself are, like, I'm a witch and I practice X, Y, and Z, like, trying to find other people that maybe even practice, like, a modicum of what you practice might actually be kind of hard because there's, like, so many people who practice so many different ways. And... For me, like, I I have Irish ancestry. I have attempted to follow the wheel of the year. In all honesty, I am so bad at, like, yearly ritual and, like, keeping something constant every year. Anna for a while was having, like, events on each of the, the holidays and, like, that was, like, the only thing that kept me, like, fully within the wheel of the year and now it's just more like seasonal for me I I tend to Mm -hmm. just like you know especially considering now my life is just like all plants Mm -hmm. it's like what do the plants need what are we what are we trying to accomplish what are we trying to keep the plants safe from right now and because so much of my attention goes into them it's Mm -hmm. become a lot easier for me to just like kind of go with the flow of the seasons than anything else
2: it's actually kind of a interesting possibly digression here but the idea that you know, the Wheel of the Year is really is based on seasonal and, you know, with um, this episode is going to come out on Immolk or uh, it's been Christianized as Candlemas. But, you know, that was like, you know, the start of spring. And you're like, February 2nd is the start of spring? Not in Boston, it's not. Well, like, you know, this comes from, you know, England, Ireland, and their seasons are different just because, mm-hmm. like, they're sort of similar. The, you know, if the land becomes plowable much earlier and unfrozen there. Yes. So, um, and where, you know, I follow more of, uh, like, you know, Greek pantheon, those s- seasonal rituals are completely not appropriate for me because the, you know, the Mediterranean growing season is just not at all applicable. Yeah. And so, like, I'm very much a, a fan of changing calendar to suit where you actually are rather than trying to find a predefined calendar that doesn't match what you're doing.
0: Yeah. Yeah, That's an interesting point because, you know, imilk, the word imilk comes from in-milk. It had to Mm. do with when, you know, farm animals were gestating and lactating and all that and you know, That was happening, I guess, in February around there. Mm-hmm. But I actually have a friend who uh, helps deliver baby goats at a goat farm in Ipswich. It's so cute. And I know that it's not now because she doesn't start sending me baby goat pictures until, like, March, mm-hmm. April. So it's definitely off. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it is. And I think that something that is really interesting to note is like this year for instance the snowdrops which are these like tiny 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 little white flowers that pop up like just as ground thaws through like frozen ground and you'll you'll see them you sometimes you'll see them like through the snow even um cuz they're just like really hardy and they're just like waiting for their moment are already popping up in the south shore like south of boston mm-hmm. um and They do tend to pop up sometime around, you know, end of January, February, but they're like a little bit earlier this year. And it's partially because we have so many like weird thaws with like climate change that like Like global warming, that thing that is definitely (laughs) happening. It's not even that like the, the seasons are like, you know, getting longer as like we perceive it to be. It's that like, they're just like so much less. They're getting weirder. Yeah, they're so much less um, consistent. Is the yep. word I was looking for, mm-hmm. and like it
0: confuses the plants. Yeah. And I mean, it was actually earlier today when I was uh, getting back home that I saw that our you know holly plant is already s- sprouting new growth. I'm like, yeah, I don't think you're supposed to be doing that right now.
2: <laughs> yeah, my lilac is has buds. And it's like you're a little bit early, yeah. and the frost could kill you. <laughs> And I'm, like, crossing my fingers that we don't
1: get, like, too many more hard frosts, but it's not even February yet. And February, historically, we've gotten some of our worst storms in this area in February. Yeah. So, I mean, we'll see. We'll see. But for me, I actually tend to focus on indoor plants, um, which are a little easier to keep alive in this area. do look at my parlor um, palm, which needs more dirt. Oh, yeah. it's fine. Yeah, so for <laughs> the folks listening... Parlor same. palms are pretty
0: hard. For folks listening who don't know who Cheryl is, uh, Cheryl is a plant witch. She specializes in plant magic, so that's what we're here to talk about today as, you know, we approach a season, which I guess none of us observe very well. But. <laughs> <laughs> but so we talked about how you kind of came to be a witch, but how do you define what a witch is? What does that mean to you?
1: So, I mean, I just think there are so many different ways. It's, like, really hard for me to, like, pick one definition. To me... Specifically, being a witch is understanding that you have the ability to control yourself. And in controlling yourself, you can control how you move in the world. Erica always likes to quote the woman in total control of herself, which I think is, like, the essence of that is really great. I wish there was a really easy way for us to make a gender neutral. <laughs> um, yes. Because ultimately, like, anyone can be a witch. But it... Um,
2: yeah, boys can be witches too. Yeah, it's definitely a topic non-binary. For future episode. Like all that,
1: but that concept though of like anyone in total control of themselves because when you have control of your own energy and you actually like consider how you impact everything around you, there's magic in that. There's like every action that you take. Like I don't necessarily follow like the rule of three, but every action that you take does have some consequence. Mm-hmm. Um, and. I think it would be silly to call yourself a witch and claim to be super connected to the earth and the universe and not like take stock of, you know, the injustices and the like essentially like rape of the earth that we're like the humanity is currently committing. Um, So I think it's for me, it's being... And I think this goes for a lot of, of spiritual people is that being spiritual and connected also goes hand in hand with being, you know, involved in community and in what's happening mm-hmm. to the earth herself.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. So you, know, you use the word control a lot. And I think it would be interesting to discuss what that means, because, you know, in some spiritual paths, control has to do with repression mm. and you know controlling urges and controlling sort of your animal nature in, and I don't think that that's what you mean no it's not <laughs> so right so what do you mean by control so I guess I
1: I think that part of the control for for me is like taking into account like what my actions might do like as you know it might seem really actually I think a, a long while ago you and I talked about the um, this I swear this gets back to what we're talking about we talked about there's like you know a bunch of invasive like seed pods in my bushes outside yeah. and it's like we really should like take all those out and like this year I'm hoping to kind of like as they kind of show black, themselves pull, black swallow war black we're talking about black yeah, swallow swallow yeah, that it's was what it terrible was. it's terrible <laughs> and like you can think like oh like well nothing I really like I don't have any control over that. You know, it's just it's an invasive, it's mm-hmm. just gonna like go everywhere. But every little bit of like people seeing it in their yards and pulling it before the seed pods pop in the fall helps it, you know, stop strangling native bushes. And, and I will say this
2: not only is it strangling native bushes, it is a close relative to milkweed, but our native butterflies can't eat it. But butterflies are real stupid and they lay their eggs on it and their eggs die. Yeah. <laughs> and no, I, it's I terrible I collect uh, butterfly eggs and I raise the butterflies in my house in the mm-hmm. summer. Um, so that uh, That's so cool. So that they don't die. They don't birds eat um, the the monarch caterpillars. So I raise them in my house and then let them go. And I often see the butterflies landing on the swallow wart and the reason that it's invasive is it's specifically a north shore issue. It's crept into Boston. I think I think there were two releases they came in Victorian times. People had them in their, look at my fancy weird plant garden, mm. and they escaped. Mm-hmm. And there was one garden in Ipswich, and I think there was another garden in Cambridge. Wait, and where so, did they bring them from? Uh, I th- I think they might be, like, Eastern European, and I think, originally. I'm not entirely sure. They're either Asian or Eastern European. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were, you know, they have a somewhat interesting purple flower their leaves are very shiny. but you know the Victorians were always bringing stuff over, oh, look at my you know gypsy moth caterpillar isn't that awesome <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, So also invasive yes <laughs> but,
1: yeah <laughs> but exactly so like it's less about like, controlling your you know like don't take the lord's name in vain and like Mm -hmm. the ten commandments like all that like obviously like some of the ten commandments are pretty solid i'm not gonna lie maybe we shouldn't murder people but (laughs) it's less about like that kind of control Mm -hmm. and more about the idea of like understanding that your actions have value and also that your actions will have impact Mm -hmm. whether good or bad and like cause and effect (laughs) and it's just like I think that a lot of people who don't consider themselves very spiritual still have a concept of that, yeah. mm-hmm. and I think that that's where I was like, I really don't consider myself hyper religious. I consider myself very like spiritual in that concept that mm-hmm. like we're connected and what you do matters. Right, mm-hmm. making conscious choices. Yes, conscious choices is a really good way to describe it.
0: Yeah, and that's another thing that Becca and I have discussed is you know is your witchcraft a religious practice or not because for me you know witchcraft is my religion and becca does not consider it her religion mm-hmm. and you know you just said that you consider yourself more spiritual than religious but you know what does that mean is there a divine that you connect with do you you know do goddess work do, if so like how does that i guess fit into being religious or not
1: yeah and this is where it gets really weird because i definitely have like like I mostly, the, like, term, like, religion to me just is so wrapped up in, like, the structure of, like, organized Christian religion that it's so hard for me to call myself religious. When, like, in reality, like, you know, the, like, nature worship that I essentially do is, like, technically a religion. That's nature religion. So, like, to get into semantics, like, Yes, I think
0: technically I would be considered religious. But like I
1: don't really call myself that because it's like it does not roll off my tongue easy.
0: You know what? Um I used to not call myself religious too for the same reasons until I started really thinking about the definition of religion and the nature of worship and I realized like that yes, you know, witchcraft is my religion. Mm-hmm. And it's something that I've had to make an effort to learn to say. And it's something that I've been doing for a few years now. Yeah. So I understand it. And it's even
1: funny because, like, I um, I went to a Lutheran candlelit Christmas Eve mass with my partner, who is Lutheran, mm-hmm. and that particular, like, he's part of the um, very... Um, radical Lutheranism, I would call it. I know it's called something very specific in Lutheran, (laughs) in, like, Lutheran spaces, but I forget what it is. But it's, you know, it's the same space that the woman who is the sarcastic Lutheran on Instagram who, like, melted down all those purity rings and made a vagina out of them. Oh, Uh, I don't know It's very... (laughs) She's, like, very witchy, and I'm very into her. Um, (laughs) But I went to that, and, like, the priest did something that I guess in Christian spaces they call preaching Good Friday on Christmas which is essentially like preaching like you know a little bit of doom on like Mm -hmm. a very happy holiday to make a bigger impact and it's the way to like be like yes there's all this joy and also remember like that there is like suffering in the world and like we should be conscious of that going Mm -hmm. into this very happy time and it's just very like like if religion if like my Catholic upbringing Mm -hmm. did a little bit more of that Maybe I wouldn't be so adverse, (laughs) but it was just, like, it was really eye-opening to me because I was, like, it's not like I'm about to go convert or anything.
2: Mm -hmm. I'm
1: definitely not going to do that, but it's just, like, I, it really, like, opened my eyes in a way to, like, think of religion in a much different way, Mm -hmm. Um, just because, like, it was so different. and
2: yeah. In high school, I actually had uh, a number of friends who were Lutheran. Like, my best friend in middle school was Lutheran, and then like, she started bringing me to, like, their retreats and stuff, so I made a whole bunch of friends in her church. So, in high school, I actually did spend a lot of time in Lutheran spaces, and I found it, there were a lot of interesting parallels to Catholicism. Like, they didn't move that far away, mm. but then there were other things, like, you know, like you said, like, your your partner has this very specific path that he's in, but... So this this church that they went to, like the priest still did, uh, like the what the communal, you know, the communion, but well, not, but the whole the, the actual like basically the spell work to change the body, yes, like you know, they did that um, facing the altar with their back to the the con- congregation, hmm. whereas in Catholicism it's done the other way so that you're always you know facing the congregation. so in that way they're kind of that their particular church was kind of like you know pre-1960s Catholic changeover. but then the other things they would have like you know for the actual communion bread they would rip up pita.
1: Yeah, they like, have they have real bread. Also, when they did communion, everyone came up onto the altar because everyone is as close to God as mm, the mm. priest and like, yeah, like it's, it's not I even know. a priest. I think it's a minister. I know or nothing. Pastor. pastor, pastor. There yes. we go. Pastor. God, the Catholic is yes. so strong.
2: But, yeah, like I said, I, I've said in the past episodes, my my parents, after everyone all their kids had moved away and they forced us to be Catholics, they converted to being Quakers. And Quakers don't even have an altar. They sit in a circle, like mm-hmm. you know. Mo- a lot of meetings don't even have uh, ministers. Uh, my parents' meeting does have a minister, but they're like you know, like they'll take turns leading. And my mom would like, oh, I have to lead meeting today, and so I'm gonna read this stuff from like Thoreau and this thing from Buddhism. It's like, okay, like you th- weren't. Yeah. Why were, why were you hippies when I was growing up?
0: Yeah, for real. <laughs> Yeah, I have zero experience with Lutheran Church. I honestly know nothing about it. <laughs>
1: it's very... It's honestly, like, I, I don't think it's all... I think there's still some very conservative yeah. parts of Lutheranism,
0: but... It's just interesting know. because Christianity is very regional, and, you know, Lutheran, to me, seems like a very New England thing. It, back in Brazil... I mean, Catholicism is sort of everywhere, but, you know, the, the other aspects of Christianity aren't, and so back in Brazil there are, is no Lutheran Church, but we have... The Gumu Spirita, which is basically the spiritist community, which is an offshoot of Christianity that actually deals sort of with spirits and how spirits interact with people and they see like the causes of most ailment as being like a spirit that got attached to you. Mm. But you know, like I don't see that in the US at all. Mm. Yeah. So it's very Dion fortune.
2: Yeah. All <laughs> my Lutheran friends are Norwegian.
0: Yeah.
1: The Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> very like Nordic. Like, um I yeah. think it's like s- yeah. like Swedish. I think yeah. it's like the little like yeah.
2: but my, my, my point was that I spent yeah. a lot of time in Lutheran spaces and it was I was already like no I'm not a catholic I, I at that point I was trying to be wiccan and that didn't really work out for me but neither well, um, but but Lutheran like it, it wasn't enough of what I was looking for to to, to interest me at all yeah no but it wasn't offensive enough that like I would still like go to their like weekend retreats and stuff so
1: see I was in like such
2: like a white bread part of <laughs>
1: Massachusetts, that like there was no local wicked gatherings or anything like that mm-hmm. near me. The only real witchy space was the Enchanted Fox in Medway, which um, I'm sure did have gatherings, but it wasn't, like, publicized at the time. Mm-hmm. And it was very... But it was, like, my safe haven. Like, my mom and I would go there, and I got my first crystal there. My mom was actually, like, kind of in support of all, like... She considered herself, like, a nature worshiper, essentially. I don't mm-hmm. think she would use those words, but...
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. No. Those were the days. <laughs> just hiding my witch books in my bedroom so my dad didn't find
2: them. I think I bought my first witch book at Walden Books at the mall. Oh, God. I don't remember where I got
0: mine. I do remember asking my dad to bring me back to Brazil uh, witchcraft books from England when he went on a business trip, and he was like, "I don't feel comfortable doing that." And I was like, "Oh, <laughs> okay." <laughs> like, oops, <laughs> I didn't think to feel embarrassed until now. You know? Yeah. But there's there's
2: stuff like that. Like, uh, I think you know we brought up uh, in one of the first episodes that you know me realizing that witchcraft and goddess worship was a thing that you could do. Was with uh, when you know Lord Cabot's book came out, The Power of the Witch, because you know I was a teenager in the late eighties, early nineties, and I also like I was like oh you know like you know I'm interested in like I asked my parents to buy it for me for Christmas or something, and they were just like no nah, I don't think so, and I was like it didn't it yeah it didn't occur to me that it would be a weird thing to ask yeah that it would be a problem right <laughs> yeah yeah. Exactly, but it turns out that uh, several of my Lutheran friends were also but burgeoning witches, and like the four of us did like get together and do spells and stuff. Yeah. So
0: that's lovely. <laughs> she had a very the craft like high school experience. Oh my god! But so several cool.
2: years before the craft, they copied from me. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, oh good. Good. wow, you are the original
0: hipster. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, you were the craft before the craft was cool. Amazing! Oh my god, amazing! <laughs> <laughs>
2: You no, know, somebody actually like, asked me, uh, a friend, like, oh, are you influenced by The Craft? I was just like, well, that came out the year after I graduated from college. I was like, and so basically, my first impression of the movie The Craft was cultural appropriation before that term was a thing. Was like, <laughs> <laughs> and why are they coming up with weird, like, like why don't they actually like, use real god names, which I now know that they did deliberately so they wouldn't offend any actual gods that it wasn't just Hollywood being stupid and not being able to research what natural gods or goddesses that teenage witches would... They knew they were going to do, like... They, they were going to make a mess. Of it. They yeah. didn't want
1: any god to be, like, excused. They, exactly.
0: They, they, and yet, yeah, they can't figure out the difference between knitting and crochet, which drives me crazy. <laughs> oh my god,
1: are you serious? I didn't even... I wouldn't oh my, Okay, I'm, in, not, I'm not into fiber.
0: No, in Sabrina, in that whole scene where the grandmother is making her own death shroud, they mm-hmm. completely mess it up. Oh. They don't know what she's doing. It drives me crazy.
2: <laughs> well, I mean, so the Sabrina show, they, you know, I mean, I think that they they do have actual witches doing set dressing and stuff, and they've done a lot of good work. On the other Is hand. Is this the new Sabrina yeah. that we're
1: talking about? Oh, okay.
2: They, right. uh, they, Sorry, I yeah. always think
1: of Sabrina the Teenage Witch, even though I'm 100% watching the yeah. new
2: one. But <laughs> I mean, the, the new one, they, they absolutely copy the Satanic Temple's Baphomet. And oh like, my God. And that
0: was, that was a fun experience being in Salem.
2: And watching that whole thing unfold. But it was just like, okay, but the two kids, like, you absolutely copied their thing. Like, yes, like, whatever you want to, like, that that's copyright infringement of their art. Like, that's... And I, I believe the Satanic Temple is being paid for that. Um, they settled that the court.
0: Yeah. So to but... summarize for people who don't know what we're talking about, in the new Sabrina, and I can't even remember the official full name of the series.
2: Me neither. Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. There yes. we go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, so they have a,
0: you know, the statue of Baphomet at the Satanic School. Yeah. And it's a very, very close copy of the Baphomet st- statue that's here in Salem at the Satanic Temple. And so the Satanic Temple sued them. Yeah. And, uh, so, you know, they settled out of court, but it became this whole thing that was talked about in Salem while it was yeah. happening. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Oh, uh, man. It was really... I, I actually... It's funny, because, like, I, I watch the show, because I've always watched, like, supernatural weird shows, mm-hmm. and I, like, enjoy the tropes and all the mm-hmm. dumb stuff doesn't that they do. It's so good. But... Um, and I really like it, and it's just funny, because, like, I, I guess I'm really good at separating, like... I'm a witch and this is my practice Mm -hmm. from like whatever heinous weird amalgam of witchy things that they've created. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, I don't know. I find it to be entertaining and I don't get mad about it. But like, I remember when it first came out, some people were so mad i was like i was more mad at like some of the blatant racism that was happening on the
0: show
2: but like, i obviously was more mad about the knitting and crochet yeah as but well like as the racism what i mean it's interesting though is that i haven't had a lot of my witchy friends complaining about shows like sabrina i've had friends that know that i'm a witch being like weren't you offended about the, like oh they're trying to pretend that they're woke that's yeah. so cute so or like they think that this was this is an actual problem and like, like a stupid tv show like it's based on a comic book like no i'm not <laughs> well, offended
1: like... but I, I think that part of that is because like i mean we could get into like a very deep conversation about mm-hmm. like the archetype of the witch and how mm-hmm. like ultimately right now in like the wake of like the me too movement mm-hmm. and how we're like uplifting people who you know the archetype of the witch is very powerful because they don't feel like they're in power mm-hmm. there's some i think there's like something about being uncomfortable seeing that archetype not treated correctly Mm -hmm. when we're in this kind of, like, next wave of feminism. Right. Where people who maybe aren't witches but understand that it's technically, like, it's not, like, a mainstream religion. Right. They're, like, genuine, there's genuine concern, I think, associated where they're, like, I don't know. (laughs) Like, this feels, (laughs) this feels wrong because... By and large, I mean the witches that I know are all like queer POC, mm-hmm. like some form of like not mainstream human. Yeah. Um that like is like heteronormative and like all this mm-hmm. stuff. So it's like I don't know, I think I got a little lost in that com- in that like No, we were uh, in Transit. But day. um <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, no, I, I almost like I get where they're coming from. I'm like, oh thanks for yeah. Thanks for trying. It doesn't matter though. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't care. I'm gonna watch it. <laughs> That was an amazing tangent we went on. Um, Um, Like I
2: said, two Sag Risings and a Sag Sun, so... Oh, yeah. Yes, we were going to (laughs)
0: warn you at the beginning of the episode, but now we're half an hour in, and we're just now getting to the warnings. So, (laughs)
2: Oops.
0: So, Cheryl, so you specialize in plant magic. I do. And I guess what I wanted to talk about first is what is plant magic versus herbal magic, because Mm -hmm. I think herbal magic is what people think of first. And... You know, herbal magic often gets linked to, like, kitchen witchery, which I don't think is what you're doing, Mm. or maybe you are as well, but I know that what you're, you know, most of what you're doing has to do with actual living plants. So, yeah, so what do you do? Yeah,
1: yeah, (laughs) so um, when I say plant magic, honestly, like, what I have to... Feel free to plug your business as well. Oh, my God, I definitely will, don't worry. (laughs) Um, So what's funny is when I say plant magic to people, I can tell, like, the first thing they think is, like, is that about weed? That never curtails. Oh my goodness, it's not about weed. I may smoke weed occasionally, but that's not what the business is about. Um, And which I mean, it is herbal. So I function more in the realm of living plants. I am a certified herbalist, and I do my own like personal herbal medicine. um, But it's not something that I like, you know, advertise or anything. Um, When I say plant magic, what I'm talking about is that same exact connection that you get when you walk outside into the woods, but trying to bring that to a space where it feels like you can, you know, get in tune with it if you don't automatically feel that when you're outside. And I think part of the reason why I ended up wanting to kind of bring that feeling indoors is because my life after college was in marketing and in offices and it was so far removed from the thing that I felt most connected to that Mm -hmm. I was like, I don't understand how I'm supposed to like function in this space. And when I started working at house, which I ended up taking care of the plants and it kind of is a similar connection when you take care of houseplants and indoor plants. So Plant magic is all about bringing that energy and bringing that vibe to people in their spaces and helping those plants thrive and, and make you feel essentially like you're in your own personal little forest in your house. Of course, we're using t- typical houseplants a lot of times, and they're from tropical regions. But I'm also toying with the idea of trying to get some some like more like native evergreens to try and grow in my house just because I love them so much. Um, but that's the, the vibe on that is that it's like it's not you know just dried herbs and, and that kind of thing, which is still like a very important part of the plant metric spectrum. But it's more the that's why I my like tagline, I guess, is intentional greenery because it's the, it's when they're green, it's when they're fresh. It's mm-hmm. when they're exuding that energy that is such like a symbiotic relationship with us where like you know we breathe out and they breathe in
0: and vice versa. So I have to say I find is a little terrifying because I can't keep plants alive. Like that sounds really stressful to me. (laughs) (laughs) Well,
1: um I have workshops for that. Um (laughs) so I wrote a zine called Plant Magic Workbook that goes through really like the basics and I, I even had I I now work for a company that makes these amazing giant plant walls. And my boss for that was like, I actually gave him a copy of plant magic. I mm-hmm. like took like, I took kind of a risk cause it is like a very woo woo <laughs> workbook. <laughs> yeah. But I was like, Hey, if he's going to hire me, like he might as well know exactly how I think about plants. And he ended up really liking it. And someone who's been in the industry for like, you know, 35, 40 years being like, Hey, that's a really interesting way to think about plants that I haven't thought of before. It was like really gratifying I don't remember where I was going with this now I'm just bragging. Um
0: <laughs> So when you market your services, are you marketing plant magic or like how I guess because you're clearly marketing this to non-witch people? So what is it that you're offering? So when I'm you put it out there. So I build
1: myself as an indoor gardener, plant curator and caretaker that that sort of space. So I am When I say intentional greenery, that's where I started. Intentional greenery, what I'm talking about is an age-old term for landscaping, both indoor and outdoor, is putting the right plant in the right place. Mm -hmm. And I think that because the houseplant trend has gone so off the rails, because millennials are just like, oh my god, I just love plants, they're just kind of throwing plants in everywhere. And beyond millennials loving plants... Um, There's also um, a trend in the wellness space in building offices and corporate buildings, this lean towards biophilic design and biophilic design is about incorporating as much, I'm definitely not an expert on this, so the the internet probably has a slightly better definition, but it's essentially the idea of incorporating as much natural elements indoors in these office spaces as they can Mm -hmm. in order to Create a both like visual and you know comfortable space for people to do work and not feel like you know they're stuck in a gray
2: cubicle for eight hours a day. At my last uh, at my last corporate job in Boston before I started doing freelance work, they did you know they corporate things are always trying to like make people happier. So they did have like a day like we filled the conference room with tiny little three inch pots of plants. Everyone can take one and put them on their desk. I think, like, 95% of them died within a month. Like, people people did not keep those things alive. And the people that did keep them alive, those plants got huge, and there was, like, ivy growing all over their cubicle. But most people just killed their plant.
1: Yeah, and that's where <laughs> it, it's so important for designers and architects to consider building plants into their designs. And that's why I'm so fascinated Just this work for um, the company I work for is Seamist. And, the, like... They come in, you know, with the engineers, like they come in on that level Mm -hmm. to put plants in Mm -hmm. um, and make it so that they'll thrive. And when you build it into the space, you can have a whole office full of black-thumbed plant dummies, (laughs) and you'll still have gorgeous green space for them to... You know, feel a little bit of like happiness and joy when all their whole day is just filled with like conference or meetings. Well, the
2: uh, the the space we were in, whoever did the they did the build out specifically for my company, and they didn't have enough electricity to keep the servers and the air conditioning for the servers running at full power. So we were constantly having like, oh, so. we were an internet company. So, um, <laughs> so they definitely didn't have the space for a plant wall. They definitely did not call in a plant architect. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. I like this because I think of this as um, guerrilla witchcraft, which actually is a term that I sort of stole from guerrilla shamanism, which is sort of finding ways to do witchcraft without necessarily openly telling people that that's what you're doing. (laughs) Yeah, no, 100%. Like,
1: I feel like every single time I'm taking care of the plants, I'm, like, giving them a little bit of Reiki and, like, telling them, like, their, their goals and that, like, you know, they're supposed to be there to, you know, thrive and, like, help the people in the office feel like, happy and, like, have that level of joy. And I think that, like anything, I think when you have it, you know, it has a job and a goal and it, like, feels like, you know, it's important, I think that they thrive more. And, you know, in the spaces where I'm... Coming in and putting in potted plants, especially in like witchier spaces, I'm like very upfront with like, well, like, you know, putting pothos in a space is very expansive. It'll, you can propagate it, you can do all kinds of crazy things with it. So putting it in a space where you're looking to really like grow your business or things like that can be a really cool way to set that intention.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But other places that are just like very like muggle. For mm-hmm. lack of a better word, <laughs> or I'm just like, yeah, I'll just like, you know, put these cool plants here because they're really good for like clearing the air, but they're also like really hardy and, you know, it's
0: yeah, you give them the technical information and like, then it's and then it's and like, then it's like it's when a little
1: I bit them, of hidden witchcraft, yeah, in there. And then they feel really good and they're like, these plants are making the space so happy, which like plants will do on their own, but I I think that when you give them like a little extra. Little extra juice, Mm
2: -hmm. they do a little better too.
1: Yeah,
2: I uh, one of the reasons that um, I thought that having you come in to talk about plant magic uh, for a February episode, which people Mm. might think is somewhat out of season, but especially with you doing indoor plants, like I said, uh, it is we're recording this you know a week ahead, and my very first seed catalog came in the mail today, so um. My mom is a gardener mm-hmm. and she she can't keep a houseplant alive, but she has acres of flowers growing in the field. I think she just doesn't she just doesn't care about houseplants. She doesn't see their point. But for her <laughs> <laughs> Well She but she, well, she has acres of, of garden around her, so she doesn't right. see the need to bring them inside. Yeah, that's but, fair. But so so she's always been part of a gardening club and a few years back they did this like, you know, their entertainment day was, like, each person had a different month of the year and what that meant for gardening. And she was given, like, January or February. So she came with her stack of seed catalogs and wrapped in a bathrobe. And, like, you know, that was her gardening in the middle of winter. Was this when you, like, you plan things. This is when, like, you're like okay, nothing's growing outside. So this is, like, everything's slowing down what like what am I planning for the new thing so obviously indoor plants can be grown at any time but I thought that it would be good to talk about plants at this time of the year when we are thinking that spring uh is is coming and you know that's this is when don't start thinking about plants at the end of May. Or, I mean, definitely start thinking about plants at any point. I feel called out. <laughs> <laughs> if, you're gonna, if you're if you're, thinking about growing plants, especially outdoors, um, you know, if you're thinking in May, you're going to be buying seedlings, not seeds. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I think that that's something that, you know, that plants, you know, there's this, there's a, they need time. And if you want to not spend that time, you need to gr- buy a full-grown plant and then just put it somewhere. But if you want to actually grow something from seed, then, you know, it. It takes a long time.
1: Yeah. Um, And even indoor plants, like, ideally, like, I tell people it's, like, not, like, the best time to, like, do Mm -hmm. plant installs in, like, the dead of winter. Sometimes Mm -hmm. you have to. Sometimes you make it work. But it's definitely nicer for plants to move them when there's a little more sun and when there's
2: a little more,
1: you know, warmth. (laughs) Yeah. I
2: think it's one of the things, like, we talked about with the Empress card last episode of... The empress isn't, doesn't have the thing already. She's preparing herself for the thing. And so the winter, when it's cold and it's dark, is the time to gather up all of your stuff for your plants and decide what kind of plants you want. Where do you want to put them? What, yeah. what do you need for them? Do you need to build a thing to hold them in the window? Like, now's the time to do that so that when it, you know, be a little bit more sunlight, you can it has a place. Yes,
1: yeah. And I actually, this year, so I actually have had like an outdoor container garden a couple of years, um, very small, just like a couple of key herbs that I really like. Mm-hmm. And, um, I've tried my hand at a couple of vegetables, but my, I, since I rent, my landlord doesn't really want me to like do anything in the actual ground. And I, I've really, over the past year, like last year, I didn't even do it cause it's just like mm-hmm. so frustrating to me that I can't like dig in the dirt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I went to, just to give people, like, a little bit of inspiration if they don't have, like, a garden bed. I visited the Isabella Stewart Gardener Museum, one of, like, the coolest indoor gardens in the Boston area. And I didn't, I should have put two and two together and, like, realized this on my own. But my friend Liz, who works there, was like, just so you know, like, almost every single plant in that area, in that atrium, is... in a container. It's a container garden. It's just like a really gorgeous container garden. (laughs) So I was like, wait a second. So like I'm sitting here complaining about my little patio that I like can't like go beyond and plant in my yard when literally this entire museum has this gorgeous space that's all containers. So this year I'm making a concerted effort to just like really hone in on how pretty and gorgeous I can make a patio container garden. Mm. So I think it's just a matter of of making, you know, and that's going to take like a lot of planning. So I'm currently starting to like write, write out what that's going to look like and figure out how to make it happen in the small space that I have. But all that to say, like I do indoor plants for people who have like two plants that they just want me to look at. Or people who are like, hey, can you like landscape our office? Mm-hmm. And it's a similar thing for outdoor. It's like you can definitely have like, you know, a big, huge backyard and like landscape the whole thing and like do all that work. Or you can just be like, what do I really want this to look like? And with the things that I have.
0: Yeah.
1: And you can totally just buy little tiny plants instead of growing from seed if you mm-hmm. don't have the ability. I actually really suck at growing things from seed. I've tried. Um, and maybe that's why I'm so into indoor plants, because you usually buy them as, like, full plants. See, I can grow um, stuff
0: from seed, but then once it's grown, I can't keep it alive.
1: Oh no! <laughs> we need to talk.
0: <laughs> so, Cheryl, I have a, a question. Becca, you mentioned that we had talked about the empress energy mm-hmm. in the last episode, and what I was wondering is, you know, we're, we're now in an emperor year, Is there anything that you would recommend people plant in their homes to help sort of balance emperor energy in their lives this year? Hmm. So
1: when you say balance emperor energy, do you mean like have something that sort of is more of like an empress vibe or do you want something that's more to like honor the emperor or both? I get
0: both. Well, maybe both. I mean, cause we talked about sort of the good side and the bad side of the emperor. And there's that idea of, you know, taking up space and being comfortable taking up space. That's a thing that a lot of people need to work on. Mm. But there's also the idea of trying to scale back the negative side, sort of that, you know, violent sort of aggressive, yeah. mongering spirit and trying to keep, that from advancing in the world. So, you know, maybe both. So, actually, there's, like, one plant that kind of
1: encompasses both of those energies in a way, and it's called the Mother of Thousands. Anyone who knows what that plant is is probably groaning. So, (laughs) (laughs) it is a... I think it's technically considered a succulent. It's a weird, weird weird plant. Because I have no Um, idea what it looks like. Here, I can give you all the scientific name, too. But it is a plant that... It will grow to maturity, and then on the edges of all of its leaves, will make little tiny babies that drop off with fully like little baby roots on them, and will just root wherever they are. Oh, so wow. um, some people get really annoyed with them
0: <laughs> <laughs> because they spread because they spread
1: everywhere. Like if you have a mother of thousands, like in like nestled in with a bunch of other plants, because you're hoping that like transpiration mm-hmm. will help them stay moist. Mm-hmm it will take over other mm-hmm. pots <laughs> which you know that that's not ideal but as long as you kind of you know keep an eye on it and pull little ones out i i have one pot and it's my mother fawson's pot and any little piece mm-hmm. that tries to escape just goes back in the pot and you end up with um they actually have them in the isabella stewart gardener greenhouse right now like a couple like really mature ones but they have like stakes that are like super tall and then they have all the babies in the bottom mm. so it's very like it, it it's a colonizing plant like it will mm-hmm. 100% take over but it's also, you know, it it literally births like like thousands of plants over mm-hmm. its lifetime. So it 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 honors that idea of like consistently like creating mm-hmm. um and At the same time, it has that very much emperor energy of like, not only is it creating, but it is 100% taking up all of the space that it possibly can. Hmm. So I think that if you're looking for something to like, kind of maybe balance the emperor and empress energy, Mm -hmm. that would probably be, it's also called the devil's backbone. I think that's what a lot of people know it as. Um, The scientific name is, oh, I'm going to mangle that one.
0: We can put it in the show notes. You don't have to. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, no, we'll put it in the
1: show notes. It's going to be really embarrassing if I try to say it out loud. But yeah, it's a succulent. It's actually, um, according to the internet, it's native to Madagascar, um, which makes sense because that is a really lush place where, like, you have to be a really aggressive type of plant to, like, stake your claim to an area. Mm -hmm. Um, Because there's just, there's, it's jungle status out there. So... Mother of Thousands.
0: Yeah. Excellent. I had never heard of that plant before. <laughs> it's a super
1: weird plant. I kind of, and I think everyone who owns one has like a weird love hate relationship with it. Like I just cut my back like a ton because it was just way too intense. So
0: how do I, how would I acquire one? I mean, I can give you a piece. Oh, you'll of just mine. give me a baby. I okay. will give you, yeah. You can both have
1: babies with a okay. Mother of Thousands. You're welcome. And also, I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> Is it toxic to cats? Um, it
1: is toxic to cats. So if you have a chomper, I would not recommend putting it anywhere where they can get at it. But I my cats for some reason aren't super interested in it. Um oh
0: my cats will snack on that.
2: My my cats seem to know what they can't eat. Like I have a lavender plant up Mm -hmm. in my office. They've never touched it. The I've got like you know the the pothos things, like they they won't touch those. This parlor palm which is not toxic, uh they chomp that thing. That's Mm -hmm. why you can see those leaves are shredded. Um, <laughs> anything grassy. Yeah, so, and we have, uh, I guess I don't have the the pot of um, oat grass down here right now. But, yeah, so they seem to, I don't know, I think some yeah. cats are dumb. Um, my
0: cats are... are not discerning.
1: Yeah, no, Ollie, so Queen Mab is my black cat, and she, she like, gets it. She, like, tastes yeah. something, and she'll be like, oof, no, not doing that. And Ollie, who's our new cat, just, mm-hmm. he is... A very pure soul. This <laughs> is the first time he's been on the earth, and he um, plays with pothos leaves and stuff. I've had to like get a little greenhouse so he doesn't get into them. And yeah. if you have cats, I would recommend only getting non-toxic until you know your animal and whether or yeah. not they're going to go after things because we don't want anybody to end up yeah. eating something toxic. It's really bad yeah. for them.
2: Um, I do uh, want to get us back a little bit to talking about uh, Imolc and any traditions that we, since this is coming out about that time, um, any traditions that any of us have for this time of the year or, you know, ways to celebrate. Um, Anna, do you? So there was a time in my life when I was more strict about following the wheel
0: of the year, but for me, Imolc was less about that, you know, lactation of the animals. It was always Bridget's Festival for Mm -hmm. me. Uh, I do follow a Celtic pantheon, so Bridget has always been one of the, the major goddesses for me, and that was really her celebration. And so the focus for me has kind of been on that idea of home and, you know, the home fire and nurturing that. So traditions for me definitely involve, you know, building a fire. I will always build a fire, any excuse to build a fire, and doing things with like, braid magic and not work magic and putting things out in honor of Bridget.
2: Cheryl, you said you also have fire-related Um, units. yes. So, I love the,
1: like, you know, sage sag Sun. Love a cleansing mm-hmm. fire. It's definitely something that if you're in the plant world, um, the idea of a fire and, like, the idea of, like, a forest fire is not great, like... The fires in Mm -hmm. Australia and everything—it's—it's really like devastating, but a lot of plants are actually really resilient when it comes to that kind of fire. So I kind of try to like honor how fire is very renewing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Um, some plants adapt to it as well. Like their seed
2: pods only burst when they get on fire.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Um. So I have, I like tend to keep like a little cauldron that's just I, I call it like my ultra trash. <laughs> that's just like all the things in the winter that cause in the summer, you know, you're always putting fire like putting fires on and everything. So it's easy to be like, oh this this belongs in a ceremonial fire. But so February I usually end up taking whatever's kind of been gathered over the past like two months where I haven't wanted to go outside. <laughs> and like, any clippings off of plants that are doing a specific job as, like, an intention or a spell that I didn't feel like I could just kind of compost that need to be burned. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that point, they're usually pretty dry. <laughs> <laughs> or any, like, pine needles. I'm, I have, like, a really big affinity for pine. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll have, like, a hike in sometime in the fall where I, like, gather up some fallen pine needles. And then I usually burn them sometime in February. Yeah, just kind of like a renewal of of the plants, which I think, with you know, emil being the marker of spring, even though it's not totally spring,
2: I try to kind of encompass that feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So I don't have any specific rituals at this time of year. Um, there are some people who follow uh Greek pantheon. Like, there's some. Uh, Dionysus festivals about, like, you know, this is the time of the year, again, in the Mediterranean, but when the, the wine uh, from the year before was ready to crack open the first the cask and try the, the wine, so there's some, like, wine festivals. But I've actually been thinking, a couple days ago, Lauren posted something about Immok, and it was about Brigid and her relationship to Brigid. And I felt a lot of affinity in what she was saying with my relationship to Hecate. Mm-hmm. And um, the idea of it being um, this very liminal space, this, this, it's an in-between time. I was thinking like one of the, the, the ways that Hecate is depicted, she has, you'll see it in a lot of old statues that she has this kind of like cylinder on her head. And I'm forgetting the name of it right now, but it's basically, it's a measure of grain. Mm -hmm. Um, and it is used in uh, there's there's three or four gods and goddesses that you'll see with this specific crown on and it's always a fertility symbol and the idea is and it's a it's a death fertility it's the the grain is for seeds Mm -hmm. and so like and they're like rooting off of the 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 god who is going underground being, you know, this, like, composting energy, um, which is this very fertile energy, and the seeds spring up from their head. So I've been thinking a lot about that. But also, as I said before, you know, we were talking before we started recording, I think that the interesting thing about Imok that it has become a normal, everyday American celebration, and that's Groundhog Day. And... It really relates to that liminal idea of uh, weather predicting where if on this one day which is this in-between time if it's good weather then winter will last longer but if it's bad weather for this one day then winter will be over sooner Mm -hmm. and so it's like this this in-between doorway time that if things are good then bad things are coming but if things are bad then good things are coming And um, I think that's very interesting that we've taken this very old idea and the American culture has abstracted this one tiny bit of it and turned it into Groundhog Day. (laughs) Um, And groundhogs are woodchucks if people are like, you know, what is the difference? There is none. One is just a British term and one is an Algonquin term. I did not know that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah, uh, woodchuck is much closer to the Algonquin word for the specific animal. Oh. And groundhog is what the British colonizers called them. So they mean the same thing.
0: This is actually very fascinating because, you know, <laughs> since I didn't grow up here, I don't like I know Groundhog Day exists, but no one really explained to me. All the stuff behind it, so yeah, I mostly so, associate it with it Bill really Murray. Yeah, <laughs> I mostly
1: associate it with Bill Murray.
0: Oh, the movie, yes, yeah, it's an amazing film. <laughs> See that I watched it like, again. A very my... liminal space, very liminal. <laughs> uh, yeah, I watched it my first year living in the U.S., and I was very confused. But yes. now I feel like I have enough cultural context to go back and actually understand I think what you i'm could. watching i think you could what's really it's funny to hear you talk about the idea that like what the weather if it's
1: good now it'll be mm-hmm. bad later if it's bad now it'll be good later um in my so i'm actually getting my associates in horticulture and a couple of my classmates and i were chatting about how the weather we just had such bad weather in december like there was all these like s- storms and stuff and now it's getting really nice we all were in agreement that that means that we're going to get one of those late season, like, hellstorms, like, right mm-hmm. at the end of March, beginning of April. Yes. Like, all of us. And we're all people who, like, work in, like, outside type jobs. I'm expecting mm-hmm. February to be awful. <laughs> I don't know. Like, yeah. I mean, I hope it's not. Like, I think I'm, it might be clouding my intuition <laughs> because I just hope it's not so badly. <laughs>
0: Oh, this is the wow. one month that I tell my family, do not come visit because, you know, they all live in the tropics. So they're like, how bad is winter there? I'm like, don't come and February. No, flights Never. get canceled in February, like, literally all the time. So we are at an hour, but we do have one more question for Cheryl. Cheryl, how much does your sort of plant magic actually factor into your like, personal ritual practice? So in Plant Magic 101, the, like,
1: full Plant Magic 101, because I have a couple different workshops I do now, we plant a plant and you, we either, there's a couple different ways I do. Either write it on a piece of paper and you plant it in there or you take a piece of jet and like write on the terracotta what your intention is. And I like genuinely do those kinds of things. Like mm-hmm. I, if I'm looking for like growth or abundance or protection, plants are really great for that kind of work. They're a great vessel. They're a great companion in mm-hmm. that kind of work because you can also like watch that plant grow and whether or not you even are a person who does magic, you can see that it's growing and like have that kind of visual for yourself of growth and abundance. And the protection aspect, I really like, I usually have something in a lot of my designs called a guard plant, because plants are actually, there's, I can't remember where I heard this, I'm sure it's part of some culture that I'm not remembering and that I feel really bad if someone knows where it's from let me know but I have always know like known for some reason that like plants will absorb curses mm-hmm. and I put a guard plant out like a, either a big plant or some like whatever plant is like closest to windows or doorways mm-hmm. and if there's energy that is not good coming towards you like that plant generally will absorb it before it gets to you and so like if you wanna give it a little bit of support, you can put a little black tourmaline near it, a little like black tourmaline in the soil. I actually have like some I have a log of black tourmaline that occasionally will just have a bunch of pieces come off. So I'll just like plant it right in the soil with it mm-hmm. when I replant plants. That's and right. yeah that's
0: really good advice yeah so um, with this guard plant is it the intention of it being a guard plant that makes it a guard plant or is there a type of plant that you would recommend for that any
1: any plant like uh, if you want to like see one that I consider a guard plant at Housewitch Audrey um, she's Audrey Ficus up at the front mm-hmm. she has a little I think it's a limonite um, in the middle of her three little stalks mm-hmm. um, and she is the one that's like right up front So if anything were to kind of, like, come at that, like, really lovely space, then she would be the first one to kind of absorb anything. So we always give her a little extra,
2: a little extra love. Um, We were talking about, like, you know, writing things and putting them in the soil. I've been reading about, like, there's a tradition, like, if you want somebody to have better opinions of you that you can, like, give them a plant with that sort of, like, spell in the roots. It's, it's, I guess it's traditional uh, in, in hoodoo to uh, hollow out an apple and use that as a container, put the words that you want in the apple, and then plant that under the roots so that the plant kind of absorbs that. Interesting. And then, like, you know, if you want somebody to, like, you know, if you want your boss to think nicer about you, like, here's a plant for your desk. <laughs> <laughs> And I mean, so. I guess like the giving them a
1: plant too is like, you yeah, know, they already think a little nicer you because they're giving them a gift. Yes. It's like a whole, the whole process is very yeah. uh, spell-worthy. That's cool. Yes. I love that. <laughs> I didn't know that. That's awesome. But yeah, it's very similar. So. Yeah.
0: Nice. Well, thank Cheryl, thank you so much for joining us. Can you tell us where people can find you online? Yes.
1: Um, so I have a Instagram that I spend... Most of my time on. Um, It's just at Plant Magic Shop. And then I have a Facebook of the same name. Mm -hmm. Um, And I have a newsletter that you can sign up for on my website. And so it's your website? My website is plantmagic.shop.
0: So. And is that where people can buy a copy of your book?
1: Yes. You can buy a cup. Thank you for leading me through this. It's very (laughs) helpful. (laughs) Um, So you can buy Plant Magic there. I also have a little winter plant care mini zine. Um, And you can also look up, um, if you need plant advice or anything, I do little plant emergency like text sessions, or we can chat on the phone or whatever works for you. And if you have like a big space that you want Plantscape, let me know.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks so much, folks, for listening. Uh, I'm Anna. I'm here with Becca and our friend Cheryl. If you have any questions for us, you can email them to askawitch at witchcitywitches.com. And you can follow us on Instagram at witchcitywitches. And... Thanks so much. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks, everybody. Thank you.